Hey, this is Brina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind focuses on entrepreneurship. My guest is Everett Hall, celebrity designer, Taylor. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, on E, Gentleman's Quarterly, CNN, and he has an array of celebrities that he designs for, Smokey Robinson, Tyler Perry, Sugar Ray Robinson, Roy Povich, Charles Barkley, Spike Lee, just to name a few. He celebrates over 25 years with his Everett Hall signature collection, and he has his own exclusive boutique there right outside Maryland on the Bethesda DC line in the Chevy Chase Pavilion. He's also featured in the store Neiman Marcus. We talk about his designing beginnings at age 13 and how he has been able to grow over these last almost 30 years in the business. And this awesome interview begins right now. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We have never had a haberdasher on the show. And you being an African-American haberdasher, I want you to tell our audience who you are, where you're from. Okay, I'm from Springfield, Ohio, um, by way of Nigeria. Wow. Yes, yes. Did, did you grow up there? I grew up in Ohio, but I was uh, smart enough to check my DNA, and I was stolen from Nigeria. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting, interesting tidbit. How how many years were you in Springfield, and what brought you to D.C.? Uh, I grew up in Springfield all the way through high school. So um, my parents, uh, my grandparents lived in Washington, D.C., so we would visit my grandmother and grandfather, um, Ever since the early 60s, we would come and visit. So it was kind of a home away from home. Mm -hmm. And um, a little bit later on, when I was um, in about the fourth grade, my parents separated and my mom moved to uh, D.C. So in the summertime, we'd come and spend the summer with her in D.C. And then in the fall, we'd go back and... and, um, in the fall and school year in Ohio with her father. So we're kind of familiar, a little familiar with D.C. What was it like, what was D.C. like growing up? Because we see it now, the D.C. in, uh, you know, it's all built up. But I'm sure it was a far different, a seriously different D.C. if you're growing up here. You know, it was, uh, it was tore up because they were putting the subway in and it seemed like it took forever. So the streets and everything were tore up for years. And we were like, wow, what, what's this subway thing going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was, you know, it was, um, it was Chocolate City back then. So it was exciting. And, and when I had a chance to go to college, um, I originally went to the University of Cincinnati, and I transferred to Howard University, and it was just fantastic. It was like a fashion show every day. You know, we had students coming from all over the country to Howard, and, and 
pretty successful prominent students, and then we had some that didn't have much at all, like myself. But but we had a tremendous amount of creativity and, and ambition and vision, and so it was a good mix. Yeah, I miss Howard. I miss the yard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, great days. Of, and but I spent a lot of my under, undergrad years over at the law school. You know, but oh, the yard, man. you can't beat the yard. You just, you know, on, on a great sunny day, that was the place to be. What, what, what did a place you do? Huh? I said, you walk into a founder's library and you see quotes from Frederick Douglass and, and Dr. King, and you're inspired to get your work done and, and make something out of yourself. Oh, yes, for sure. What were you there for as a major at Howard University? My major was fashion. I have a bachelor of science degree in fashion from Howard. Um, and, you know, the curriculum was uh, textiles, um, construction, uh, fashion merchandising, uh, illustration. The, the fine arts uh, building just had some of the best um, artists to ever come out of there. Uh, great illustrators, great artists, and we were also mixed with some of the music majors. So, you know, to go to a place that Debbie Allen and, and Felicia Richard and, and Donald Byrd went, it was, was, again, inspiring. Yeah. Now, what got you into fashion? Was it something that was early on or just something that you stumbled on that you just happened to be good at? Um, my father was a clothes horse. Oh, wow. He he loved to dress, and he took the time. I have three brothers, so he took the time to take us to some of the best stores that we could find and showed us how to coordinate shirts and ties and showed us what a good cashmere coat was like and, and gave us a lot of the, the, the fundamentals of how to dress. And even today, when you see guys that dress real well, generally it comes from their parents. You know, they show them what to do and, and how to dress. And when you see guys that don't quite get it right, you kind of feel, you kind of understand that there wasn't a father figure there to kind of guide them. So you have to be careful. Some of these designers have their own point of view in mind and not, might not be consistent with, <laughs> with your sense of character and, and your values. So you have to be careful. And, and uh, the business and of uh, etiquette of, of of designing for people, because um, you're so right. Uh, people judge you on your appearance, and you really mostly get one shot to make that good appearance. Uh, I'm glad your father taught you that. Uh, there is a science to that, though. I mean, just because there's a suit that looks great uh, doesn't mean that it's for everybody. You know, uh, no, I'm no, sure no. that you, you you know about that psychology of, of actually putting on a, a real, uh, designing a really good suit, custom tailoring it to the individual body types. Can you talk about that? Well, of course. Um, and that's probably the most important thing when buying a suit or buying clothing from a design house is really your morphology. Your muscle structure, your if you got long legs or you got a long torso or whatever, how it's going to look on you, male or female. So you really need to find something that that fits you well. And um, 
for me, being at Howard, seeing so many students dressed. I mean, they weren't just wearing jeans and T-shirts. They dressed when they went to the class. And I had a chance at an early age when I left Howard and I started doing a lot of made-to-measure clothing for a lot of professional athletes. Um, a lot of guys had, had money, had a lot of time on their hands, and they were difficult to fit. So it was great for me. And so I kind of cut my teeth dressing some very famous um, basketball and football players. And, of course, um, once you can fit those guys, um, a regular guy coming off the street is, is very easy to fit. So we were kind of known for kind of having an athletic cut. And not necessarily for a great uh, superstar athlete, but somebody that kind of hits the gym and works out. And if you look closely, most Americans are built differently than Europeans. And some of these very famous European designers, they don't come over here and hang out for a year and see what we're eating and how much we exercise and our muscles and, and different things. So they, they, they can't really fit you as well as somebody that's actually here in, in, in it. So that, that really uh, helped out. Yeah, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, design and whatnot. When you first started out, though, how were you able to get out word of mouth? I mean, uh, you know, you're starting out. What year did you start uh, your your business? Um, I finished my undergraduate work in 83. We actually started the business in 82 um, while we were still undergrads, uh, making clothing for students and friends and a couple of boutiques throughout the area. Uh, my initial um, start at tailoring was actually in 1973 when I was just 13 years old, and I made over 300 garments that first year. So, I mean, I was wow. really making a lot of clothes. But, you know, to answer your question, you've got to, if, if you don't have a lot of money to spend, <clears throat> then you've got to rely on your creativity. You've got to come up with my, and I tell, when I talk to aspiring designers, I tell them all the time, this is not about finding a new collar or, or, or skirt length. This is about using your creativity to get your name out there. And you just sit down and you've got to come up with ideas, you know. And, and I, I was, uh, <clears throat> I think, really good at it. I always told myself I was super creative and I had a ton of ideas and, so I would just sit down and just mindstorm and come up with about 10 or 20 ideas on how I could get the brand out there. Uh, one of the things that I did early on, BET was just flourishing, just starting doing their thing. And I had a couple of friends that introduced me to a VP there and, and he introduced me to some of the, some of the hosts and I had a chance to do Donnie Simpson's clothing, and I didn't know Donnie from anyone, but I knew I wanted to get my brand out. So I just wrote him a letter and just went to visit him and told him that I designed and wanted to do clothing for him and the show. And so he let me do a few pieces, and he liked them. And uh, they didn't pay me anything. I just volunteered and made them on my own, um, spent my money. Hard earned last few dollars to make. <laughs> oh, wow. 
But we had about um, 3 million viewers initially, and people liked them and and asked about them, and other artists came on and asked about them. And the next thing you know, I was doing things for Smokey and Barry White and Marlon Jackson and Kevin Campbell and Alexander O'Neill, and I can't even think of all the people that, came on that I was able to meet and, and asked me to do some things for. So that that allowed me to get the name out, and it allowed me to get a lot of uh, media attention because, you know, it was fascinating articles reading about someone that, that did that type of thing. So, you know, I always say, if, if, you know, if, if you got the goal and you got the desire, you know, God will bring into your life the people and circumstances to get it done. So you just got to stay positive, keep working at it, and, and go get it done. Awesome. Yeah, and Washington is the hub of an awful lot of uh, opportunity, especially for college students, I found. Uh, that's how my business got out there. And uh, it's, it's really a blessing to have been able to learn from the Washington metropolitan area. Now, you said that you came out there in, in the 80s and you were able to meet a lot of people and uh, design, do some designs for free or whatnot. What are some of the keys to beginning to build a stable wardrobe? For people who may not have thousands of dollars to spend on suits, what colors, what 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 is something that's universal that, someone could start with to create, you know, um, a wardrobe? Well, I would say if you can only buy one piece, buy a piece of quality, natural fabric, uh, well-tailored, that's going to last you. And a lot of people spend a few dollars and buy inexpensive, cheap clothing that will only last a few months. But if you get a quality piece, you can build on that. And I always say buy the best you can you can find. Instead of buying five or something, get one really, really nice one. So every time you put it on, people are just amazed at how well it fits you, how well it looks. So invest in quality. And then Get the basic colors, you know, navy, blue, gray, black. You can do so much with those solid colors. And then you can always branch out from them. If you've got black slats, you can get a herringbone or a house tooth jacket or a glint plaid jacket and wear those black slats with it. So, but start with the basics and always buy quality, not necessarily brand names because, uh, not of course, a lot of great brands do great quality, but, you know, I, I wish we as African-Americans weren't so name conscious and brand conscious and just went involved things that fit us well and that were great quality. And certainly, I'm going to suggest that you support black designers. We, we go out and we spend a fortune with these other guys sometime and, and you get feedback. Well, we really don't want black people wearing the clothing. You know, we should be supporting people that make those types of comments. I 100% agree. Um, that's why I was uh, really happy that you agreed to do the interview, because we very seldom hear about haberdasheries who are African-American. 
When did you start your boutique? Uh, we opened our flagship store in Washington, D.C. in June of 1994. So we're getting ready to celebrate 24 years uh, having this, this initial flagship store. Um, and sometimes it will take as black consumers going the extra mile to find black designers, but it's worth it because the creativity, the quality, and then the support is there. And they're going to be, we're going to be more inclined to invest our money into projects that support our goals and dreams. And, and also we, we tend to hire and give uh, opportunities to, to other black folks. So, um, it's well, well worth it. And some of these brands don't put any money into the black community. Don't hire, don't really hire black folks until, you know, there's, you know, they, they get a lot of negative pressure and they say, oh, well, we gotta go get a black model now. You know, the model, wow. that's great. And the model will put the clothing on, but still, you know, there's more to our community than just hiring a black model. I mean, we've got schools, they need computers, they need books, they need, you know, a lot of times they make investments in schools that aren't well attended by us. Right. Right. Now I'm talking about the business aspect. You're mentioning something very important. Um, we do spend an awful lot of money with these designers that, well, they don't look like us. And many of them could care less about us. You did not see um, black-owned boutiques, certainly in the area where I am. Matter of fact, um, I'm across from Neiman Marcus and Saturn Avenue. I'm the first African-American to ever open a retail store on this block. So, no, you didn't see them at all. Now, mm -hmm. there were some great, there were a couple of great black designers that, uh, one that I have heard of, I can't recall the name, that did a lot of clothing for people at the White House. So, that mm -hmm. we were doing things, but we were so far behind the scenes that uh, you didn't really see offerings uh, from us. Your brand, you're, you talk about the fabric, the quality and whatnot. What goes into a suit that bears your name and your boutique? Wow, great question. My 40 plus years of actually fitting people, not just doing pretty print ads and putting them in the paper, but actually having Charles Barkley come in and try on the suit and say, this is too small here, this is too big here. You know, working with Sugar Ray Leonard or, uh, or Tyler Perry or, or someone actually putting on and getting feedback from them, that's what the heck you need as a designer. You need someone to let you know this is too tight or this is comfortable or this is perfect, you know, and I feel so good in this. So you need that feedback. You also, from my years of being at Master Taylor, starting to make clothing and making hundreds of garments when I was 13, you also know how to engineer the garment, design the garment, not just put a, a longer collar on it, but you know how you want it constructed. 
and you, I fly to Italy. I go to the best meals in Italy, and I sit down and I view their fabric collections, and I select the garments, hand-selected fabrics that work with my concept for that particular season. So, and then you also go to the best, I go to the best factories in the world in Italy and have them made. But all that goes into it. You design for both men and women? You know, I've done men and women, but what I have on the market throughout the U.S. is men's wear right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but my brother, Eric Paul, he does women's wear, and he does an outstanding job. So, uh, mm-hmm. He's a designer, too? Yes. That's wonderful. We we want to be able to reach customers throughout the U.S. and internationally that love the brand and want to buy some of it. And it's not just the website, but also people want to come in and try it on. So you don't have to have a huge store, but you do need to have something uh, in most major cities where people can actually touch it and try it on and see how comfortable it is and and and, and Make a purchase if they like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that's that's the key to to be able to to do your thing and be, and and have it readily available for people. And I think that's been the challenge for most like designers. You know, they they the powers of be make it a little difficult for us to find our clothing and get our clothing. So we have to make sure that we are diligent as black consumers and go the extra mile to find and support black designers. Amen, I agree. In parting, I wanted to know um, your thoughts on black businesses in general. I know there's a campaign out by black, you know, Red365, and others, which I, I greatly support. But um, talk a little bit about uh, not only just that movement, but black businesses in general, because you, you hit on a very important thing, that many of our people, we don't go and support one another. Um, we just we bypass that. And I'm sure you've seen many people go over to that Neiman and Marcus and Lord and Taylor. Yes, yes, I have. Um I just think that, uh, now look, there are times when we have supported each other and we've done really well and guys didn't like it, got jealousy, came in and burnt our, our stores down. So it's not like we have never supported each other. We have. You know, and when we were doing it and when there was issues where we were no, not allowed to go in other places, Black unemployment was nearly non-existent as a result. So it's important for us. If we're sitting back waiting on some legislation to be passed so that we can have such and such a bill to live so much better, that's probably not ever going to happen. But we do make and spend over $1.3 trillion annually as black consumers. So we got enough money to support each other and for for black businesses to be doing very, very well. So we just have to go the extra mile and make sure we seek them out and 
we're patient with them. A lot of times we'll go to a black business and say, well, they're not acting professionally. Or Look, we're not the only ones who are doing that. I go into, and I won't mention some names, I go into some of the largest banks in the country, and they're unprofessional. Right. Understaffed, don't treat us right, computer down. So we're not the only ones that have issues. But if you see something that you like, support them. And if you see something that's not quite right, give them positive feedback. Hey, you guys could do this better, could do that better. That's great feedback for them because that's something that they can specifically work on. You know, if, if a business is doing something wrong and no one tells them, that's the worst thing in the world for that business because they'll never right. know that they're screwing that up. But mm-hmm. I just think that as black businesses, we have so much creativity, we have so much energy, and we have so much to offer. That that fits our culture and that fits our mindset. You know, some people get it. We generally understand what we want, so we should be able to get it. A lot of places don't understand. They haven't walked in our shoes. They don't spend time where we spend time. They're on the other side of town. So what what is so bad and what troubles us that we're working, that, that works against us, can also work in our favor. Because mm-hmm. if, if you never have, um, what's, what's the old saying that, um, um, in every problem, there's a seed or an opportunity uh, to make it better. And mm-hmm. everybody, a lot of these businesses don't understand what we really want. We know mm-hmm. what we want. And if we want it, maybe someone else wants it. You know, maybe some of our friends, maybe some of our relatives, maybe some of our associates want the same thing. So we just have to do a great job at offering it and and communicating and we and being supportive. You know, there's a story that uh, I don't know how much time we have, but just quickly. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I have a, a friend and he had a shop and he opened it and he didn't do very well. So he called uh, one of his customers and said, hey, uh, can you help me get out of this lease? I'm going to have to close the store. And an old Jewish guy came to help him get out of the lease. He said, you know what, my, he said, I don't know how this business didn't work for you, but if a Jewish guy had a store, my grandmother that doesn't even uh, play golf, this guy had a golf store, she would come Mm -hmm. in buy a full set of clubs and everything just to support the guy. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, he said Jewish guys would just come in for the next two, two and a half years and just buy because mm-hmm. they know that's how important it is. We've we got to have the same mindset. we got to communicate the same things. You know, if you got some money, you can use this product. Go support these businesses. They're trying to do something positive and, and value your business and will serve you really well. Amen. We're talking to Everett Hall. He has a great boutique off Wisconsin Avenue. What is the address and the website? Uh, the, the boutique name is Everett Hall Boutique, 5301 Wisconsin Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C. Uh, the website is www.everetthallboutique.com. This is 
been great. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure.